Welcome to this podcast from MyHR Toolkit, the HR software platform for small businesses. In this episode, based on a webinar, we talked to Howard's Head of Employment Law and Business Immigration, Charlotte Geeson, about the preparations SMEs need to make in 2021 in response to Brexit and immigration law changes. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast to get new episodes when they're released and check out our business webinars and guides on myhrtoolkit.com. Good morning and hopefully you can all hear me. So um, welcome to the webinar this morning and um, just by means of introduction. So my name is Marie uh, Marie Cheng. I'm the Partnerships Manager here at My HR Toolkit. Um, I'd like to welcome you all to today's webinar. Uh, for those of you who've obviously joined us before, you'll be familiar with the fact that we've done quite a lot of webinars since, uh, since actually the first lockdown started. Um, it's covered obviously quite a range of different topics from COVID-19 type topics around furlough to like how to uh, manage your social media and a lot of them have been really popular. Um, so for today um obviously there's lots of stuff that's been going on about COVID-19 and Brexit's kind of fallen off the radar whether that's kind of intentional or not so today uh the topic of today's webinar is uh is your SME prepared for Brexit and the changes to immigration law and in this webinar we've got our guest speaker you can see there Charlotte Charlotte Eason um she will spend for the next 20 to 30 minutes talking a little bit about uh what SMEs need to be aware of um with a focus on the change to immigration law how it affects your recruitment and also your employee retention efforts um at the end of that session um we will have some time for questions and answers just a bit of background about Charlotte so Charlotte is the head of employment law and business immigration at Howards uh, she's from the West Midlands and has worked for the last few years in, in Leeds. She qualified as a solicitor in 2011 and provides a huge range of advice around contentious and non-contentious areas of employment law and supports the business in complying with their business immigration needs. So what I'll do now is I will pass over to Charlotte to do her section. And then, as I said, we will come uh, back together to talk a little bit about any questions and answers that you might have on the webinar. So, Charlotte, I'll hand over to you. Thank you, Marie. Um, good morning, everyone. Um, thank you very much for your, your time this morning. Um, as Marie has said, I'm going to spend the next sort of 20, 25, 30 minutes um, talking you through the um, changes to the uh, UK's immigration system, which will um, come into um, their own on the 1st of January 2021. I'll also look at um, the impact which the changes are going to have on um, the SME market and some of the things which you can do to try and get ready for the changes and also to protect your business going forward. 2020 has obviously been taken over somewhat by the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, but Brexit has still very much been in the forefront of um, British politics since the UK's departure from the EU on the 31st of January this year. Um, since our departure, we have obviously been the subject of a transition period, which is due to end on New Year's Eve. During the transition period, uh, freedom of movement, which is one of the fundamental tenets of, of the European Union and which allows EU nationals to live and work in the UK freely with, with limited restriction, um, has continued. And nationals from the EEA have had the right to live and work in the UK as, as they always have done. Um, employers have, have not been the subject of any significant obligations um, and they could choose obviously to employ EU nationals um, with the same considerations as they would have had when employing UK nationals. 
From um, January the 1st, though, there are going to be big changes to the uh, current system because free movement is going to end. Uh, and coupled with that, uh, a new points-based system for entry into the UK is going to be introduced. What the new points-based system is going to do is bring EU citizens under the same immigration controls uh, as the rest of the world uh, are currently subject to. Uh, and ultimately, I suppose, make it harder for employers to employ foreign nationals. As I say, as things currently stand, EU nationals can, can move to the UK to look for work with minimal restrictions. And, and when it comes to individuals from the rest of the world, they need a visa to enter. Uh, in order to obtain that visa, they need to be able to meet with um, certain criteria to do so. Under the new points-based system, anyone who isn't a UK citizen or, or someone with settled status, and I'll, I'll come on to that in a few minutes, um, will need a visa to enter and, and also to have um, amassed a certain number of points under the new system. Additionally, in most cases, an employer will need to hold what's known as a sponsor license before they can employ any foreign national, uh, including um, those citizens from the EU. The, the new points-based system then will, will probably represent a, a pretty big change for employers, um, particularly those who don't employ outside of the EU at the moment. And like I say, the biggest practical change is going to be the extension of the licensing requirement from non-EU nationals to all foreign nationals. I'll talk to you in a little bit more detail uh, about the licensing requirements in a few minutes. But I think before I sort of come on to the, the, the nitty gritty, um, it's worth kind of just looking at the, the sort of rationale for the points based system, because I think it gives some awareness really as to why some of the new employer obligations have been introduced. And I think the, the starting point really with the rationale for the points-based system is, is there's a, a fundamental challenge really, or, or there has been a fundamental challenge with freedom of movement. And that is that the decision to move to the UK is, is ultimately up to the individual migrant as opposed to the UK itself. With freedom of movement, there's obviously no guarantee that, that the migration is, is going to genuinely be in the country's best interests. The new points-based system, however, which only permits migration once there is a, a, a sort of live, genuine job offer, is being described as something which obviously will still facilitate migration into the UK, but, will, but which will allow a greater focus on entrance um, for uh, arriving for more specific uh, reasons. To some extent, then, what the new immigration system does is place entry and migration into the hands of employers. Obviously, the government recognise that employers receive a great benefit from being able to access a global talent market. And what employers are going to have is, is, is ultimately control over whom they employ within their organisation and what roles they consider would be best filled by individuals either inside or outside the domestic labour market. All employers are potentially going to be affected by the points-based system. Any employer who wants to employ anybody outside the UK going forward is going to have to have an awareness of, of the system. When it comes to EU nationals who are already living and working in the UK, an employer's right to continue to employ them after the 1st of January will ultimately depend on the individual's own status. 
whilst EU citizens who are already resident in the UK will have some protection under the uh, transition arrangement, this protection isn't absolute or automatic. And if they don't comply with the new requirements, then they'll be liable for deportation and obviously employer, uh, potentially liable for employing a legal worker uh, in the same way as with other foreign workers. Whilst each case obviously will, will, will turn on its own facts, um, generally speaking, EU citizens who've been here for five years or more will already have what's known as settled status and they will be able to continue living and working here without really having to do anything further. EU citizens who haven't been here for that long though, um, they may still be able to live and work here, but what they'll need to do is submit an application through the government's European Union settlement scheme or EUSS to obtain the necessary permissions to be able to do that. Irish nationals uh, are dealt with separately um, as they have some protections which predate the transition arrangements and, and ultimately the upshot with, um, with Irish citizens is that they can live and work here in exactly the same way as a British citizen would. The European Union Settlement Scheme then, the EUSS, just, just, just taking a look at that, when it comes to EU nationals who are already living and working in the UK, by the 31st of December, 11pm uh, on the 31st of December, these individuals can currently apply to remain in the UK indefinitely through the scheme. Um, the EUSS will allow an employee and their family members actually to get the immigration status which they need in order to continue living, working, studying in the UK. Individuals who arrive after this date won't be able to apply to um, stay under the EUSS and they will be captured by the new licensing and points-based system requirements. The application process for the EUSS, according to the Home Office, is very easy to complete and it can be done online. Uh, the application is free and there's plenty of guidance on the gov.uk website, which provides information about what documentation and things like that individuals need to submit to prove identity and residence. Um, a successful application under the EUSS will result in an individual obtaining either settled or pre-settled status. The EUSS provides settled status to those who have been in the UK for at least five years by the 31st of January, like I say. Um, and if an individual receives settled status, which actually is also known as uh, indefinite leave to remain or enter, um, it basically means that there's no time limit on how long they can stay here. An individual with settled status can ultimately, if they want to, go on to apply for British citizenship if they obviously meet the requirements um, and like I say if, if they if they want to uh, and if they want to stay here those applicants who haven't been in the UK for this long so who haven't been here for five years can apply for pre-settled status under the EUSS um, pre-settled status will automatically be updated to settled status at the five-year mark um, but whether uh, a citizen has settled or pre-settled status it doesn't matter for the purposes of them continuing to work for you past um, the end of this year Applications under the EUSS are, are actually open until the 30th of June 
next year. So you have a sort of a six month window to get this done. And an individual's current immigration rights won't be affected until then. Whilst staff shouldn't be forced to apply under the EUSS on the basis that will potentially amount to unlawful discrimination, um, employers can certainly signpost the scheme to affected employees and also offer them support when it comes to the application process. I'll come on to this in, in a little bit more detail, but in a lot of cases, it might actually be to an employer's advantage to offer support of this nature, especially where they employ overseas workers whose services they actually really want to keep uh, and retain following the end of the transition period. If an individual fails to apply under the EUSS and acquire the settled or pre-settled status before the 30th of June 2021, then their presence in the UK may obviously ultimately be classed as unlawful. Uh, the individual will be subject to removal from the UK and given that an employer obviously has existing specific obligations to ensure employees have proper immigration status, um, i.e. through the right to work checking process, it will be really important for employers to ensure that affected employees are definitely on top of their EUSS applications uh, and that they obtain the relevant permissions to remain here. Employers um, on this basis might even want to give consideration to writing to their employees about the EUSS to ensure not only that an audit trail is in place in case the Home Office or UKVI ever come sort of looking around, but also to kind of, like I say, protect the this sort of current um, staffing body and from, from a, a wider sort of HR retention point. I just mentioned right to work checks there, um, but I don't have time to cover this uh, key immigration obligation ultimately um, today. But what I would say is that there are no proposed changes to the current right to work checking obligations when the PBS comes in, uh, the points based system. Employers will still be obliged under the Immigration Asylum and Nationality Act to obtain, check and retain documentation from all employees to ascertain their right to work in the UK. Um, there are obviously some very severe sanctions for employers who, who either fail to carry out those checks and discharge their obligations and or who knowingly employ illegal workers. Um, large fines, significant fines, uh, £20,000 or unlimited um, and imprisonment uh, uh, sort of um, sanctions which um, uh, are not uncommon. Okay, so in terms then of the new points-based system and the changes to um, the, the, the current immigration um, system, uh, similar to existing provisions, the new system is going to offer immigration routes for highly skilled workers, skilled workers, students and other specialists such as uh, global leaders and uh, innovators. Broadly speaking, though, and for the purposes of the SME market, there are two main routes or there are going to be two main routes for permission into the UK. Uh, firstly, the, high, uh, the skilled worker visa route, and that's for people with a job offer and is akin to the existing tier two general uh, category. Um, and secondly, a highly skilled work visa route for people without a job offer. Although that second highly skilled worker route isn't actually going to be in force until 2022 at the very earliest. 
the biggest shock to the system though i think uh, economically culturally socially if you want to sort of look at immigration uh, on that kind of level will be the fact that there's not going to be any general uk visa for lower skilled and therefore lower paid roles um, this coupled with the end of free movement could have a potentially devastating impact on employers who currently rely on low-skilled foreign nationals to perform key roles in their organisations. Um, to, to reinforce the point that I made earlier about supporting employees with an EUSS application, um, it could then make sense for employers who currently have a large low-skilled and foreign uh, workforce to help their employees under um, apply under the EUSS uh, to secure, obviously, those individuals chances of remaining in the UK for work and uh, remaining to be eligible to um, form part of your workforce. Um, whilst under the existing immigration system, individuals from outside the UK already need to meet with certain criteria to work here. Under the new system, these criteria, um, which are going to change, are going to apply to all foreign nationals. Um, and actually, as from 9am yesterday, uh, 1st of December, all foreign nationals who want to come to the UK for work under this sort of primary skilled worker route uh, are now going to need to show that they can meet with um, four minimum uh, skills and salary thresholds before they can come here. Um, the fundamentals of the skills and salary thresholds remain broadly the same as under the previous tier two general route, um, although uh, they're actually a bit less onerous, which is obviously good news. Um, key differences include the uh, removal of the horrible uh, resident labour market test, um, lowering the uh, skills threshold from degree level to A level level, which is, is, is going to be great, I think, because what that does is bringing a number of previously excluded roles into the parameter of, of, of um, possible sponsorship. Um, it includes jobs like uh, electricians, builders, uh, logistics managers, travel managers, chefs, bakers, restaurant managers and nursing assistants. So even though freedom of movement is going to end, the um, types of, of, of people that we can bring in is going to be extended. Um, the final sort of biggest change, I suppose, is that the minimum salary threshold has been lowered from 30,000 to 25,600 pounds. Um, in order to enter the UK under the skilled worker route, what an applicant needs to do is accrue a total of 70 points from these four skills and salary thresholds um, in order to be eligible for a visa. Um, and the four thresholds from which these points can be met are Firstly, having a qualifying job offer from a qualifying employer, that attracts 20 points. Um, being able to speak English to an intermediate level, 10 points. Having a job offer which meets with the minimum salary requirements, of which there are actually two. So 25,600 pounds or the going rate for the job for which there's a separate publication. Um, there's a little bit of flexibility in this because an individual can earn less um, but but not less than um, 20,480 uh, 20, pounds um, and only if they um, work in a shortage occupation, which again is, is covered by a separate publication um, which the government um, produce, uh, they hold a PhD which is relevant to the job or they're a brand new entrant um, into the job market. 
The uh, salary requirement threshold attracts another 20 points. Um, the fourth threshold is having academic skills to level RQF3, uh, which is the equivalent of A level, like I say, down from level six, which was degree level. Um, and again, there is a list to support the threshold and the qualifications and things like that, which will be uh, applicable. And that threshold attracts 20 points. Um, the um, applicable 70 points um, is made up of 50 points for mandatory or non-tradable criteria, i.e. the job offer, speaking English and the skill level for the job. But the other 20 points are, are known as tradable criteria. Um, the rules are pretty complicated, but basically what it means is that um, if somebody, particularly in relation to salary, is not able to meet with the requirements uh, for the role to get the full 20, um, where, for example, uh, they, they can show that they have a PhD, um, they can trade these characteristics against a lower salary to attain the required number of points. Um, in addition to acquiring the number of points, applicants will need to meet with criminality checks, i.e. they need to show that they're not one, um, and they also need to show that they have sufficient funds to support themselves upon entry into the UK. The visa application process is done online, it attracts a relevant fee, um, the individual will need to give their biometric data to the local visa processing centre. Um, and whilst an applicant obviously holds their own destiny, if you like, in terms of the working in the UK in their, their own hands, um, hopefully it won't have gone unnoticed that two of the thresholds, i.e. qualifying job offer and salary requirements, are obviously in the hands of the prospective UK employer. Um, this is where it gets interesting, I suppose. Um, in terms of being a qualifying employer, what it essentially means is that the employer is going to have to hold a sponsor license under which a uh, certificate of sponsorship for the applicant has been issued. Um, and an applicant actually needs that certificate of sponsorship before they can make their visa application. So basically, you need your um, license in place before you can offer anybody a job. Um, sponsor licenses actually already exist um, and employers who want to employ um, non-EU nationals already need a license as things stand. Um, however, as I've said, the global immigration rules are being extended to all non-UK nationals under the new system. Um, so EU citizens are now going to be captured by the licensing requirement. Um, all businesses are eligible to become sponsors, again, provided they're not criminals um, and provided they haven't fallen foul of any immigration legislation in the past. The concept of sponsoring is, is actually fairly simple um, in that it allows employers to employ individuals from the global talent pool as opposed to being restricted to the domestic labour market. Um, as well as allowing an employer to um, employ a migrant, however, uh, a sponsor license does actually confer some pretty onerous obligations onto the business who essentially are going to become responsible for the migrant while they're working in the UK. And um, I actually saw an article just this morning um, ahead of this webinar, which um, the headline was um, uh, UK employers to become new immigration police under new points based system. And um, while Whilst that's sort of fairly dramatic, it's not actually far off the mark because the Home Office are actually going to pay, uh, place a burden on employers to track individual migrants when they're working for you um, and to ensure that they are complying with the terms of their visas. Um, so obviously employers are going to have to have a pretty decent awareness of, of immigration uh, compliance obligations in, in general terms. 
but they're also going to be expected to have robust internal HR and management systems to comply with all of the administrative licensing duties, um, which is, you know, which are quite comprehensive, really. Um, I think going back to the reasons for the points-based system, I think the reason that the Home Office is placing this onus on employers is because ultimately migration is going to benefit them first and foremostly. So I think what the Home Office is saying is, well, businesses should have some responsibility for managing the migrants' behaviour whilst in the country. The sponsor license application process is, is, is lengthy and it can be complicated. Um, it costs £536 for a small employer and just over £1,400 for everybody else. Within the application process, the employer will need to decide what type of license they need, who's going to manage the license, who's going to manage the sponsorship obligations, who's going to look after the migrant while they're here. Um, and the Home Office will conduct background checks on anybody who you nominate to verify their eligibility for the roles. A bit like the visa application, the, the sponsor license application is done online um, and it requires a submission of supporting documentation to meet with um, the necessary evidentiary requirements. Um, the current sort of average uh, turnaround on licenses is about eight weeks, but it can be 12 weeks if uh, the Home Office want to um, drop by and say hello to sort of suss you out before approving your application. Um, so if you are looking at recruiting from outside the UK anytime after the 1st of January, you really need to be giving some thought to making an application at this stage. Um, I suspect that the sort of eight, 12 week window for processing will uh, increase as we get into the new year and as people start realizing that actually it's not as straightforward anymore to recruit from outside the UK. So something uh, uh, in addition to kind of just, just factor into your, your sort of business planning. Um, if you already have a sponsor license, you don't need to reapply for one, but obviously keep an eye on the expiry date of it. Um, if you are thinking of transferring um, uh, EU staff from perhaps a group company outside the UK to your UK office, then you might need to extend your sponsor license, but you won't necessarily need a new one. Again, just check the terms of the license that you have to see what your obligations are. In terms of that, I guess, of um, the, the impact that the changes are going to have on, on SMEs, as you might have gleaned, the, I think probably recruitment and retention are the sort of biggest areas which are going to be impacted. Um, on the recruitment side, obviously, if a business is needing to recruit from the EU, then um, from January, uh, an individual is going to need permission from the Home Office to take here, uh, to take a job here, uh, which is going to be the subject, obviously, of a lot of legal assessment, and the employer is going to need a license. So you're going to have to think about fees for the license, the awareness of um, integration obligations, both in terms of managing the migrant and more generally, um, and also, like I say, how, how are you going to track the migrants when they're here? Um, on the retention side, particularly, I think, in respect of low-skilled, low-paid migrant workers, if you want to retain them, then you really need to make sure that those employees understand whether they need to apply under the EUSS, and you should look at what support that you can offer to them. Um, in terms of, of, of getting ready then, uh, some tips maybe, I think workforce planning is key, um, SMEs already in 
massively, horribly challenging times with COVID-19, but it's going to be really important for businesses to understand who they currently employ and who they might want to employ going forward. Um, employers need to be clear on what parts of their business have a high number of EU workers and what they're doing. Um, if workers are skilled, check for a work permit and make sure they earn enough to meet with the new salary requirements. Um, this might uh, require a look at budget planning. Um, I know that those things are boring and, and not necessarily easy to do, but I think even the recognition of a potential implication that the change they're going to have on your business will be better than nothing. Um, if you are looking at employing people from outside the UK, either immediately in January or going forward, get your sponsor license. Um, once you've got it, it lasts for four years. So the, the sort of effort that you need to put in through the application process, it only needs to be done once and then you can kind of rest easy. The license will just sit in the background. You're not obliged to use it with any certain uh, within a certain amount of time, but it'll be good to have in the event that you do want to embark upon a recruitment process and perhaps you don't have eight, 12 weeks to sort of play with in terms of obtaining the permissions. Um, I think you should encourage your EU citizen staff to apply into the EU settlement scheme for, for all the reasons that I've, I've already outlined and perhaps consider new recruitment processes for 2021 if um, you are going to perhaps be negatively impacted by the uh, switch off of um, low skilled labour from the EU. Um, if you are looking at attracting more talent from the domestic market, you might need to look at things like skills investment, improving pay, reward, um, employment conditions obviously um the the sort of younger cohort that are sort of coming into the job market at the minute they want to sort of um think about career progression and things like that so those might be things that you want to have a look at going forward to to widen your sort of attraction to the the uk labor market um, in terms of how how Howards can help, um, we we bring together expertise in UK immigration law, employment law, HR, uh, and we're working with the SME market to advise on the implications of the, the new points-based system uh, on recruitment, onboarding, workforce planning, uh, the whole lot. Um, we can provide a full business immigration service um, from ensuring that all your policies and procedures are in place through to supporting you with any licensing applications and, and how you can uh, keep track of those uh, migrants when they're here um, anything that you need then then by all means you know feel free to contact us um, at any time um, so yeah I think that's all for me actually um, I, hopefully I, I, slightly over the 20 no that's good it's but, good um, hopefully it's uh, we're, we're still um, yeah on. we've got time <laughs> that, that's no, no, that's brilliant, actually, um, Charlotte. Um, I don't know about other pe other people, but I think it's quite hard because obviously everyone's been so preoccupied with COVID and like furlough and stuff, and it's you know another implication for for employment and what's happening with people's jobs and stuff like that. So I think yeah. it's been quite helpful to to highlight these. Um, so just a reminder for people if they had any questions to put them in the questions and answers box. We've had a couple come in, so what I will do now is go through um what's coming in and charlotte if you're able to to answer them or um yeah. if, if there's you know you can kind of signpost if there's anything else that people need to have a look at so if yeah first one um, i'll just grab this actually from um from the chat because i think so lizzie lizzie has asked those with settle or pre-settled status uh when can we ask for the right to work is that from the 30th of june 2021 okay so 
the right to work is something that you should have asked for at the point of recruitment. Um, right to work and um, demonstrating um, uh, immigration permissions under the EUSS are, are slightly different. Um, if you have already ascertained an EU citizen's right to work because they already have rights to, to live and work here, then, then you're fine. If you haven't already done that, though, then you should do it now as a separate exercise to asking under the EUSS. Um, in terms of asking about any EUSS applications, you can ask people now. There's nothing wrong with asking people if they've applied, but you shouldn't require them to demonstrate any application until after the 30th of June. Okay, hopefully that answers that. If not, Lizzie, just drop a message uh, through to us. Um, next question is from Lucy Mills. She's asked, how can you ask your employees if they are affected? and need to fill out an EUSS application. Okay, so uh, I guess this kind of links in with the, the, the previous question insofar as you should already know where your employees are from and whether you have EU citizens in your workforce who would be required to apply under the EUSS because you should have already done your right to work checks and obtained all the relevant um, documentation. Uh, it's list A and list B um, from um, the Home Office's guidance on right to work checking. Um, if you don't have that kind of internal record because you haven't fulfilled um, the, the right to work obligations, I think what you're probably best off doing is sending out a general communication to all staff saying that the immigration system is changing and saying that anybody who is an EU citizen without um, an indefinitely leave to remain already should come and speak to you about um, applying under the EUSS to stay here. That way you, you're sort of highlighting the issue but you're not immediately flagging the fact that perhaps you haven't fulfilled the right to work sort of checking obligation um, at the start of employment. So should keep you out of um, any sort of sticky conversations. <laughs> cool, thank you. So hopefully that's answered that question. Um, Adriana asks, um, sorry, I have to paraphrase this a little bit. So settlement in the UK, I think is it, is it, is it down to the employer to keep a copy of the online check? Um, and does this apply to the current or the new employee? Um, so an employer has an obligation to keep a record certainly of any checks that it has carried out in regards to an individual's right to be here. Um, if you are looking um, at somebody's passport, for example, or biometric residence documents under the current check, obtain, retain process, you're, you're obliged to keep that. In terms of any EUSS application, um, you, you also want to see a record of that. And what I would suggest that you do is ask your employees, your affected employees, to provide you with a copy of um, the, the sort of approval that's come through. Um, like we didn't go into it in detail in, in the session because we didn't have time, but um, when it comes to right to work checks, the government does actually have an online right to work checking system, uh, which is kind of like a one stop shop for making sure people um, uh, are allowed to work here. 
you need your employees consent to be able to sort of look, look on this system but that that's a really useful tool actually because if you can get your employees consent you know just a couple of details into into a website and then you've got everything there and what that will do is show um details about EUSS applications as well okay brilliant um thank you does anyone have any um any other questions that they wanted to ask Sharda? Um, she's obviously got her, her details up on the screen as well, if anything comes comes to you. Um, I'll give her a couple of minutes for, for people to ask some questions, but maybe something for me is like, I guess with everything going on right now as well with 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 unemployment, employment, you know, with everything going with like COVID, what would you, if you had a couple of things that you would want to get out to people about what they should be thinking of doing in the next couple of weeks, like, you know, five, five things to do in the next couple of weeks, what would you, what would you say they are? around this. Uh, in terms of immigration or in terms yeah of, well in terms of in terms of chaos this, well <laughs> not sure any of us are going to do to solve the chaos really um Ooh, I but know. i guess in relation to to this because as i said I, I wonder how many people has, has let this kind of go oh gosh right now now around the corner um, yeah yeah i think um i suppose number one uh is is looking at the makeup of your workforce um, if you haven't sort of done that already, um, it's a really important thing to do. Um, one, because it's going to highlight whether any applications at EUSS are going to be needed and also whether you're potentially going to need a sponsor license going forward. But two, it will help you to understand better the types of individuals and the, the skill levels that you need within your business. So like I said, one of the real horrible things about the new immigration system is that it completely cuts off um, the UK's access to the low skilled labour market um, and obviously you know over you know recent years and and you know sort of 15 20 25 years ago we have had you know a massive reliance on uh, currently particularly Eastern European migrants who are happy to come to the UK to do low skilled work which the domestic market just doesn't find attractive at all um, so if you know you you have a look at your workforce and you identify that actually for example you have a high number of um foreign nationals who do that type of work that'll be really useful exercise could allow you to plan going forward um number two i guess is get that sponsor license application in if um you're going to need one because it's it's at least a two-month turnaround potentially three potentially even longer um was that another question? That I just... Yeah, there's there's a few. There's a couple of questions we... coming. Yeah. So uh, Reams asked, can you remind us again of the date when employers should start requiring copies of approval? Was it the 30th of June? You can start asking for copies of approval now voluntarily. You can force um, uh, disclosure of, of approvals by the 30th of June. OK, cool. Hopefully that's answered that. Uh, Phil had another question. Um, if we decide to only take on new employees who have settled status from next year, uh, does that mean we wouldn't need a sponsorship license? Yes. Yeah, that's right. So anybody who already has settled status because they've been here for five years or more or anybody who um, applies under the EUSS and gets the irrelevant status, um, then you won't need a sponsor license to employ them. Um, they can essentially be treated in the same way as UK workers. If, however, you want to employ somebody who doesn't get that status because they haven't been here either for long enough or um, 
who haven't been here before the 31st of December, then you'll need a license for them. Okay, brilliant. Um, and then we've had one come through on the chat. Um, do you need a sponsor license per site or brand? I'm guessing one for each entity, I suppose. Um, you need one for each each legal entity. Okay. Cool. Any other questions from any anyone else? If not, that was really informative actually. So I learned I learned quite a lot of stuff in that as well. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah. It's um, always a bit nervy, like ooh. <laughs> no, that's that's good. As I said, it's quite it's quite different, obviously, from what a lot of people would have been potentially used to. So, um, so that's good. So, as I said, obviously, uh, Charlotte's details are there uh, if you'd like to uh, ask any more questions or contact her. Um, obviously, please thank me and uh, th join me in thanking Charlotte for her. Um, time and expertise as I said it was I thought it was really helpful um so if you found this really helpful uh we also have oh sorry I've just got one more comment so I'm going to try and squeeze it because we have we have a little bit of time so Gareth just asked would you need a license for overseas self-employed people oh self-employed people are a bit tricky um there isn't actually um uh, a specific route yet for bringing self-employed and freelancers in um so what we would need to do on that one gareth is is is, is look at the nature of the work the um uh way in which the um, uh, individual kind of sets themselves up whether it's as an individual or through a trading company and work out your obligations there um that one's a bit of a tricky one to sort of answer uh a, a webinar unfortunately but but like i say there's no specific route to bring in self-employed freelancers at the moment okay right so as i said um thank you very much for coming on today um just a reminder as i mentioned at the beginning of the webinar we have another one next week we've got quite a, we've got a series i'm trying to get them in before christmas um so sarah Birkinshaw is coming on from quest to talk a little bit more about the extensions to furlough and the implications around uh what the second lockdown has had for for businesses um so if you'd like to join that you we will send out a uh, link with a recording of this webinar but also a link for next week's uh webinar that you can join or you can find that in the link uh so in the chat box um and apart from that then um hopefully we will see you on the next webinar and thank you very much for for joining thanks for tuning in to this my hate to talk it podcast for more information and access to more of our business webinars and resources for smes head over to myhatertalkit.com or find us on linkedin and twitter